welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. As we talk about joy in the journey, and this is your first time gathering with us, and, and you may have not heard our other messages in the series, I, I want to just tell you that we all know somebody, I think, that is super positive and super energetic, no matter when you see them or when you talk to them. How many know a person that just is like that? They're always smiling. They're always just like upbeat. How many know somebody like this? All right. I call those people the Tiggers of the world. And some of you that know Winnie the Pooh know the character Tigger, right? You have Eeyore, who is this like manic depressant, but then you have Tigger, who is this like, like energetic, positive, optimistic tiger, who's always, <laughs> you know, he's just always, he's just always there to just uplift your spirit. And, and some of us know a Tigger, and, and I, I don't know, I, I tend to put myself as Tigger-like. I can't say I'm that much of a Tigger, but I, I, do, I, I, I do have a lot of energy, as, as some of you that have been attending our church know uh, personally. I, I, I tend to be a positive person. Let's just say it takes quite a bit to bum me out. And somebody was uh, quizzing my daughters last week because they help us out at the back tables and, and our our best volunteers. Um, sorry, other volunteers, but you know my daughters and my wife, best volunteers of our church. And uh, that's that's a cool thing about planning a church. When your children are older, uh, you have built-in volunteers. All right, I love that. I just want to go on record to appreciate them. But they're asking them. My, my friend Mitch was like, "So your dad really like this? Like in the morning? Like what what kind of person is he? Like when when you see him in the morning?" And my daughters looked at him and they said, he's somewhere between Tigger and Buddy the Elf. <laughs> and I was like, that's a pretty, I think, accurate assessment. And in, in their defense, like I'm typically the first one up in my house and I've already drank a couple cups of coffee. And so when they see me, I'm like, hey, how's your day? Like, how'd you sleep? And they're like, calm down. Let us get our coffee. You that have already drank about three cups, all right? Uh, but when I talk about joy, immediately some of you may take your mind to this place of talking about somebody's temperament, somebody's disposition or personality type. You might even think like joy as an emotion you feel. And so as we have been talking about the book of Philippians, what we have seen in this letter, and we really, honestly, we read this throughout the Bible, that joy is not necessarily an emotion you feel but rather joy is an attitude that you choose. And so this whole series as we've been looking at this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, we see this woven into every chapter that he writes. And what we've done over the last several weeks, we're taking it chapter by chapter, so we're not going verse by verse. We encourage you, though, this week, read chapter four 
verse by verse this week, knowing that we talked about it like as an overview today at our message uh, this morning. So I'm going to pick up in verse 4 of chapter 4 of Philippians, and I'm entitling this morning's talk, The Joy of Contentment. Turn to three people and say contentment. Just turn to three people around you say contentment. And this is what we read about in verse 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So once isn't enough. He said, I need to say it twice because I really need you guys to hear me on this. And the word always there in the Greek language literally is translated at all times. So he's saying rejoice at all times. He says the same thing to another church that he plants the Thessalonian church, he says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. He says, rejoice always. So some of you, you, you really want to take your faith to the next level. You, you're trying to memorize Bible verses. This is a good one to do. It's two words. Rejoice always. Say with me. Rejoice always. So you just memorize the Bible verse right there. Two words. Rejoice always. Rejoice at all times. The Passion Translation says it this way. In Philippians, it says, Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Let joy overflow, for you are united with the anointed one. What we want to learn in this chapter is this idea that joy is something you choose regardless of the season that you're in. And let's just be honest, we're in a weird season. I don't know how many times in the last four months I woke up thinking I was in a horrific episode of the Twilight Zone. I'm like, are we really living out what things are like? Is this real life? So we're all in a weird season. We know that. But he said, like, we, we are going to be able to choose joy in no matter what season we're in, what circumstances surround us, or what situations find their way into our personal lives. We're going to choose to be joyful. It's something that we choose at all times. And because we've spent quite a bit of time looking at the next several verses where Paul talks about be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, talk to God and the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. I'm not going to spend time talking about that, but I will say this. If you're a person that has been struggling with anxiety in your life, we did a whole message series in November, and I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that series that we did, and I really believe it will speak into this feeling or this overwhelming thing that you've been dealing with on the topic of anxiety. But I want to take us to verse 10, because this is where we start really learning the idea of what contentment is. In verse 10, it says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. So what we read is that this letter is like a thank you note that he's writing to the church at Philippi, to the Philippians. He says, Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any 
in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is telling these guys that were so generous and gave him a love offering, thank you guys. Like, I, I'm so grateful that you guys sent me money. But, but I want to go on record, and, and I want to tell you something, that even if you hadn't sent me money, that I've learned to be content in every circumstance that comes into my life. Like, Paul comes from a place of privilege, a place of influence, a place of education. And he's going through these horrific challenges in his current state as a follower of Jesus. So some of you that have never read the book of Philippians, you, you might get the idea of not knowing the backstory of Paul, of going, like he is writing this thank you note while he is chilling on Zuma Beach, on his beach chair with his drink with an umbrella in it. Like, yeah, it's easy to write a thank you note when you're living that kind of way. But this isn't where Paul is writing his thank you note from. He's writing it from jail. He's writing it incarcerated, chained to a Roman guard, awaiting possible execution, not knowing whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die. This is the headspace and circumstances surrounding in his life, and he's declaring, I have learned to be content. So with or without your generosity, Philippians, I want to tell you that I'm okay. And then he goes on to say something that we've seen before, maybe on that MMA fighters, they're getting into the octagon. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. How many have seen that tattooed on somebody's body? You've seen the athlete wear it on their shoe or whatever. It's like, yes. I mean, it's a mantra. You're going to find this at Hobby Lobby on the, on the mug and on the poster. It's like, yeah, we celebrate this. But even though there's truth in the motivation behind like celebrating the fact that no matter what you're going through, you're going to find victory in it because you as a follower of Jesus are not fighting for your victory. You're fighting from your victory. So there is truth surrounding this idea that no matter what comes your way, you already have a victory because Jesus has already won the victory for you. However, with that said, I don't believe that Paul writes his verse so that the guy that is entering into the boxing ring, that, that he's declaring, I'm going to knock you out because Jesus has given me the strength to do it. Or to the guy running the marathon, I'm going to complete these 26 miles because Jesus has given me the strength to do it. I don't believe he's telling the student, even though I haven't studied at all for my finals, I believe I'm going to crush my finals because Jesus is going to give me the strength to do it. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that no matter what your dreams are, you are going to fulfill your dreams because Jesus is going to give you the strength to do it. He's actually saying, despite your dream's not being fulfilled. Christ is going to be able to get you through this season of feeling crushed because of a failed dream, that you're going to be okay. Regardless of the season you're in, the circumstances surrounding your life, or the situation that you've encountered, Jesus is going to get you through it. Now, 
with this in mind, I want to just define contentment like to give us that, that working definition of what this word is because it's not a word we use a lot, but yet Paul is saying this is a big deal for us to learn this in order to get through these circumstances and situations we find ourselves in. It says this, contentment is an inward, satisfied, peaceful disposition of the heart. It's being okay with every situation, every circumstance. That's what it is. It's, it's that feeling of peace, tranquility, satisfaction. I, I know this about you because it, it's how I feel. I want more of that in my life. How many want more of that in your life? Yes, I want to be at peace. I want to be satisfied. I want to be full of joy. I, I want all of it. I want all the above. That's what contentment is. And the biggest nemesis to contentment is this idea of discontentment. And discontentment is the oldest trick in the book that the enemy of this world has against our lives. The oldest trick, literally the oldest trick that he has. This goes back to the very beginning of our Bibles, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, the first human beings, enjoying the blessings and the creation of God. And they're, it's perfect, perfect situation perfect circumstances, perfect season. God's walking with them in the cool of the day and a serpent strolls into the garden and whispers to Eve, God's holding out on you. The reason he told you not to eat of that tree is because he doesn't want you to be like him. And if you eat of that tree, you're gonna be like him. All of a sudden, discontentment was born into Eve in that moment. And she wanted something that not only did she not need, but would actually sabotage the purposes that God had for her life. And discontentment does that to all of us. That God intends to do beautiful things with our lives, but discontentment takes root in our lives and sabotages us from moving in the direction and reaching the destination that God ultimately has for our lives. So discontentment is a big deal. And not only now because we all are kind of living in the aftermath of this decision that was made by early, you know, the, the early human beings that were the first on the earth. We're dealing with this, this discontentment spirit that, ha- it, I mean, no matter who you are, where you've been or what you've done, you battle discontentment. We all do. This part of our broken nature that we all have. But what happens is that there are things in our culture that amplify the spirit of discontentment. It's there in all of us, but then there's these things in our culture that turn the volume up and we feel the discontentment a little bit more. And the more that we're feeling this discontentment, the more potential we have to sabotage the favor and the direction that God is taking for our lives. So let let me just tell you what these amplifiers are because you, you may or may not be aware of them, but let's, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do this. Write this word down, consumerism. It's a big thing. We don't talk about it very much because you can kind of sound anti-American, kind of coming against consumerism. But there's something to be said about consumerism and the drive that our economy has that our economy needs us to be discontent with what we have so that we will go out there and buy something to keep the economy going. Billions, church, are spent on advertisement every year to try to get you discontent with what you have so that you will go out and buy something new. I have a confession. In 2007, the iPhone 
was released for the first time. And if you recall in 2007, there were lines outside of the Apple store. And you may have been part of the, the, the drive-bys that went, you know, drove by and saw these lines, people camping out going, those dummies, what are they doing? I was one of the ones in line. Not the, just the first year, second year, third year, fourth year. I'm in line for a new iPhone. Why? Because every year I got the phone. The first year I was so excited. I'm like, well, this does everything. It's a phone. It's a Palm Pilot all in one. This is great. And, and then, you know, next year they said, hey, we have a new one and it has these features. And I'm like looking at the iPhone going, well, this is junk. Like this, I want a new, I, I want those features. So I'd go wait in line again. Every year they would get me. Now, you know, now they have plans. Of, they'll just upgrade you. You don't have to wait in line. So, but I, I tell you that, that I'm guilty of this. That there is a part of just being an American that we struggle with this idea of discontentment because this is just the space that we're all living in, but we just need to be aware of that. It's not wrong to go out and buy something new. It's not wrong to go out and, and see something, you know, and, and buy it, especially if you go to Costco. I call it the spirit of Costco. I'll walk into Costco to buy one thing, and I'll go, and I'll see something. I, ne- I didn't even know that. That was a thing, but now that I know it's a thing, I can't live without it. I gotta buy it. So I call it the spirit of Costco. And so, so I'll go and, and, and I'll get some. There's nothing wrong with that, but we have to be aware that it's bringing in a spirit that if we're not careful with it, it can actually lead us off path of what God wants for our life. Here's the second thing. Write this down, the comparison game. <laughs> and, and honestly, I believe comparing is the greatest contentment killer that we face comparison. And you know, you know, you know, comparing your things and your life with other things and other people's lives. We, we all do it. They're the three most dangerous places for us in the comparison game, write this down, social media, new car lots, and HDTV. Yeah. HDTV can be dangerous. Now, if you guys know HDTV, you know they're you know, a home improvement channel, right? Uh, how, how to improve your home. And n- nothing has, has done more for discontentment than Chip and Joanna Gaines, the fixer-uppers. I mean, they, they've taken these houses, and they're ugly, and they're terrible. And Chip and Joanna go in there, and, and from demo day to completion day, it's just like they renovate this whole house. I mean, some of us, we have been so mesmerized by the transformation that we wanted to leave Thousand Oaks and move to Waco, Texas, just so that we could live in a Chip and Joanna Gaines house. Are you kidding me? Have you ever been to Waco, Texas? If you have, you probably wouldn't be feeling that, but there's not much in Waco, Texas. There are some beautiful homes, but I'll watch that show and I'll be looking at my house and going, I don't like my house. My house is ugly. My, my house doesn't look like that. I want those cabinets. I want that countertop. I want that, you know, landscape or whatever. So, so we can become discontent just by comparing our place to something different than our place. And, and then, of course, a new car lot. We've all been there. You go, a friend asks you to go for moral support so that you won't cave in to the, you know, the, the salesman, you know, once you go and you just want to kind of test drive some cars, make sure you like it. And so you, you know, you decide that you're going to be your friend's wingman. You're like, dude, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make sure that, that you don't get bit by the bug. 
So I'll be there to, to kind of level things out. So you have every intention. You're going to go with your buddy. He gets in the car. You open the car door to, to drive with him. And all of a sudden, you open the door, and that, that aroma, oh, just like, you smell it. That new car aroma that no car wash has perfected to this date yet. Even though they say new car smell, you're like, no, nothing has the new car aroma better than a new car. And all of a sudden, you're just like, wow, I don't really like my car. My car doesn't smell like this. My, my car smells more like family. My car smells like In-N-Out Burger. Like, wow, my car isn't as nice as this car. And so all of a sudden, your car isn't good anymore. And then I, I, probably the most dangerous thing is social media. And I know some of you aren't on social media, but those of you that, that are on social media, especially Instagram, that is really about sharing pictures of your life with the rest of the world. And I'm not against social media. I think social media is a great resource. A lot of you are here at this gathering because of social media. You saw an ad for Atmosphere Church, so you're here. So there are a lot of great benefits of social media. However, it can also be the most dangerous thing for your mindset. Because what happens is you are scrolling through your feed and what you're doing is you're comparing your low-life moments to other people's highlight reels. They're putting on display their best of their life. They're showing, you know, going on this special trip, getting this special house, being with this family. And, and then you, you see these people's highlight reels and you're like, my marriage doesn't look like that. <laughs> my family doesn't look like that. My vacation certainly doesn't look like that. And then you, you find this, this angst building up in you. Do you know that research is proving beyond a shadow of a doubt now that anxiety and the use of social media are going hand in hand? That in 2007, there was an exponential rise in anxiety and depression issues among our culture. Coincidentally, that was the same year that people like me were waiting for their brand new iPhones and the invention and launch of Facebook. It could be a coincidence, but university after university are finding a direct correlation to people's anxiety levels and their use of social media. One report I was reading this week that was released in 2017 said on average 12th graders in the U.S. spend six hours a day online. Now, that's not to say all social media, but just online. But this is interesting. According to the same report, girls spending five or more hours a day on social media were three times more likely to be depressed than non-users. So this is definitely an issue that is happening in a lot of people's lives. So if some of you right now are battling anxiety and you've been finding yourself going and scrolling through people's pictures and, and tweets and Facebook posts, maybe God is using this message to tell you to take a 30-day time out and judge how you are mentally after 30 days of no social media versus 30 days of social media because the comparison game can be toxic against not only your relationship with God but actually your life in general. And one last thing about comparison. You know it's a serious deal when God makes it a part of his top 10 things of 
things to avoid in your life. Number 10, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. That word coveting is really uncontrolled desire to acquire. That's comparison. I don't have that. They have that. I want that. And I will do whatever I need to do to get that. God says that is dangerous business. When you let yourself start coveting, which starts with the comparison game, you put yourself in a very, very dangerous position. And can I tell you that when your life becomes a competition, you're always going to lose because you're always going to find somebody that's smarter than you, faster than you, that has more money than you, that, that can do a lot more than you can do. So, so stop making life a competition and stop the comparison game and you will avoid a lot of the discontentment that you're feeling and angst is going on. Number three is, this is a good one, is not getting what you want. There's a lot of things that we desire. I mean, just think about it. Like when you were little and you got the toy catalog. How many remember the toy catalogs of times past? I remember the Sears catalog, baby. I remember getting that thing and going through it. You guys remember that? You're 80s people. So... You know, go through there, we cut it out. I put it on the refrigerator so mom and dad could see it and the Christmas morning would come and I kind of felt like Ralphie when the Red Ryder BB gun wasn't under there. I was like, where's, where's my Stretch Armstrong? Where, where's my Muppet drum set? You know, it's like I, I, the, the disappointment is real and we carry that into adulthood that we kind of have these great expectations and we come in and say hey this is how my life's going to turn out this is how my marriage is going to be this is how my family's going to be this is how much money i'm going to make and then we start living our life according thinking all of these things are supposed to be this way and they don't happen that way and then there's this big gaping discontentment going why isn't all of this stuff happening the way i thought it would happen or, or then maybe it's it's happening but not as fast as you want it to happen maybe you imagine by the age of 30, you would be married. Maybe by the time you were 40, you would be making six digits uh, in your income. Maybe by the time you were 65, you thought you would be retiring, but you are not in a place of retirement. And what we do, what we fail to do, is we put our contentment and we attach it to our circumstances, to our situations, to the seasons of our life. And if the seasons are good, we feel content. If the seasons are bad, we feel discontent. So some of us, uh, we make the mistake, say, I'll, I'll be content when I make more money. Some of you are saying, I'll, I'll be content if I get married. Others of you that are married are saying, I'll be content when I'm single again, which is another sermon, by the way. But, but we get these spaces where we're just like, I, things aren't working out the way I want them to, so I, I feel this discontentment, and, and I want to give you this PowerPoint, and I want you to remember this, that discontentment is one of the biggest joy robbers of your life. It's the biggest joy robber in your life. I'm convinced of it. And Paul is saying you can experience contentment no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the season may be like for you. And he says this, it didn't come naturally. I had to learn it. I had to learn it. He goes, there's a secret I had to learn. And his secret is not such a secret. Matter of fact, I believe his secret is, is, is right there in plain view for us to see in chapter four. And here's the two big ideas of how to learn contentment. So, so Paul's writing this, okay? T keep in mind his circumstances and here, fast forward to 2,000 years, 
He's saying, hey, I've experienced something. I want you to take note because it's possible, regardless of the season, circumstance, or situation, for you to live in contentment. But here's the two things you need to be. Number one, be full of Jesus. Write that down. Be full of Jesus. Now, there's a difference of believing in Jesus and being full of Jesus. There's a lot of believers in Jesus, but not every believer in Jesus is full of Jesus. And, and here's the difference. And let me use the Cheesecake Factory as an example. This morning's message is brought to you by the Cheesecake Factory. So when I go to the Cheesecake Factory, I pass by the dessert, uh, what do you call it, the display, and I, I go by there and I see all the cheesecakes. Now, I've been to Cheesecake Factory a few times, and I should know by now that I'm not leaving that restaurant eating dessert, but I like to dream. So I go in there and I'm like, I'm choosing that dessert. Like, okay, I've never been able to eat dessert while I'm at Cheesecake, but this is, this is my moment. I'm going to do it today. And so I'm hungry. I see the dessert case. And then you go sit down, right? And then, the, you know, the, the server there says, okay, here's your menu. And you have 100 pages of, of like options. And it's like overwhelming. But if you're like me, I go straight to the back. And I look at all the cheesecake options, right? Because just like it's a 100-page menu, there's a 100 different cheesecakes. And, and I study every cheesecake, like, which one am I going to try? And I always, like, think about all of them, and I always default back to the key lime cheesecake. And, and I just like, oh, I just like, oh, I just can't wait to get cheesecake. And, and then, right, the bread comes. And then you eat bread, you're hungry, so you just, you know, one's not enough, you keep, and then we want more bread, uh-huh, and they bring more bread, you just keep eating bread, and then the meal comes, and then they don't give you little portions, they give you big portions, and you're eating it, you can't even eat your plate, and you're just there, and you're, you know, you're, you're full, you're just like almost sick to your stomach, you've eaten so much, and then the server comes by, and then flips it to the back of the menu again, and says, are you ready for dessert? And you're like, I'm going to puke on you right now. I can't even think about dessert. Now, just a little while ago, dessert was desirable for you, but why all of a sudden does the same dessert, it hasn't changed, it's the same dessert, how come all of a sudden it's not desirable? Because your stomach is full. And when your stomach is full, it changes your perspective on the dessert. See, the same thing goes for your spirit. When your spirit is full, your perspective changes on the things you feel you need for your life. Come on, somebody. Is God speaking to you this morning? So, so Jesus is giving us, or Paul, rather, is giving us this idea that when you're full of Jesus, you don't have an appetite where you feel like you need anything. So even when things don't work out in your favor and the, the, the dream that you thought was going to come doesn't come, when the person you thought was going to be there wasn't there, when, when uh, the money that you thought was going to come doesn't come, you're like, hey, you know what? I'm still okay. I'm satisfied. Why? Because I'm full of Jesus. Hebrews 13.5 ties in with contentment. The author of Hebrews says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Now, it's interesting that he's tying be free of the, the love of money with Jesus being in your life. Because when Jesus has satisfied your life, the need or the feeling that you need more money kind of goes away. Yeah, I'm sure we could all use a little bit more money. Matter of fact, Howard Hughes was asked one time, how much money does it take to make a man happy? His reply was, 
just a little more. <laughs> how many relate to Howard Hughes? Like just a little, but, but here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. You're not going to chase down and desire money when you have the knowledge and the experience that God is with you. Because when God is with you, he is more than enough in whatever circumstance that it finds its way into your life. The Gospel of John says it this way in chapter 1, verse 16. And now out of his fullness we are fulfilled. And from him we receive grace heaped upon more grace. So out of his fullness, we are fulfilled. So Jesus being full of life, being full of love, being full of peace, being full of joy comes in and he fills our life. So much that he goes on record and in verse 10 of chapter 10, he tells his followers, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give life and life in all of its fullness. So Jesus is saying there that there is something in me that as I fill your life up, you are going to be overflowing. There is going to be a, a filling to the brim to where you're not even going to be able to walk carefully without spilling me on other parts of who you are and where you go. When you stay filled with Christ, you stay full of love, you stay full of life, and you stay full of joy. Paul says, I've learned to be content through Christ. He is my source He's what fills me up. David, who also was another character of the Bible that went through all kinds of drama, he says this in the most popular psalm in our Bible, Psalm 23. He says in verse 5, my cup overflows. Even though I'm going through all kinds of drama in my life, my cup overflows. Why? Because he was connected with God. See, to be full of Jesus isn't just for you to have Jesus live in you. It's you living in Jesus. And John chapter 15 is one of the most profound chapters of our Bibles because he talks about this dynamic. And if you want to be full of Jesus, John 15 tells us how. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when, when I'm in you and you are in me, and it's possible for me to be in you. Jesus is the same without you being in me. But if, this, if you want this, this dynamic of faith to work for you, if you want to see and experience God for your life, it's not going to be found in just me living in you. You have to be living in me in order for you to benefit with heaven coming and flowing through your life. And it goes on in verse 11. It says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. So Jesus is saying, let the record state that I have the supreme amount of joy, and when you're in me, you get to share my joy. So you may not be the Tigger. You may not be Buddy the Elf. You may not have that disposition. Matter of fact, people may accuse you of being Eeyore, but when you are full of Jesus, he gives you a capacity that you don't have on your own that he can fill you to the brim of joy even when you don't feel like being very joyful. And here's what you need to know is that being filled is something that doesn't just happen one time. This is something that we do on a regular basis as people of God. Part of the reason why I, I was such an advocate for in-person gatherings is when I'm, when I'm doing the online thing, I'm preaching to a camera. 
And, and even though the message is solid, whatever, it just doesn't feel the same. When we're in person, when we're together, there's something powerful that takes place that can't be translated online. Do you guys feel it here? Like, are you with me on that? Yeah. You, and, and so what, what I found, what I found is that I need this. I know I'm the pastor, but I need the worship just like you need the worship. And I need to be filled up just like you need to be filled up because here's what you need to know about me is I leak during the week. <laughs> I know it sounds terrible, but it's true. My spirit leaks out. I could be cut off on the 101 and I feel a little bit of Jesus leaving me. I just feel it when I want to cuss that guy out, when I want to give him the Hawaiian good luck sign going, dude, where'd you learn to drive? You know, or, or, or maybe when, when, you know, Tara and I are not seeing eye to eye on something or, or maybe when I got so busy that I, I really didn't throw in some worship music like I should. I, I can, I can feel even like how I respond to people. I'm like, I, I just, I, I feel like I'm on, on E. Like sometimes you get in your car and the E lights, how many have ever, like you got home and you're on E and then you're like, oh, okay, mental note in the morning before I get, before I got to remember, I got to go by the gas station and then you get busy and then you're, you're all excited in the morning, you get in your car, you start the car and then you're reminded at that moment when the E light is on going, you're a dummy, you didn't fill up. This, uh, how many have done that before? You're like, ah, oh. Just imagine what, what we need to do as people of God, as followers of Jesus, is imagine that every morning when we wake up, our e-light is on for our spirits. And we have to intentionally fill up the tank every day with how? The word, worship, texting some people, checking on them, sending them verses, having them encourage us, and all of the above, being at church, being with other believers, because yesterday's movement of God in your life, my friends, isn't enough to sustain you today. Yesterday's movement of God for your life isn't enough to sustain you and to keep you in this place of contentment today. You need a constant filling up, and Jesus provides that for you. And every day, wake up, you get full of it. I, I was in Zambia years ago for the first time, and, and we have a school, we have an orphanage that we're a part of, and, and the, the first time I went to the orphanage that we're partners with, uh, the orphanage director is a good friend of mine. I went to his house, and we were just hanging out. And on his wall, mind you, this is in Zambia, Africa. They have a mosquito issue, and they have malaria, so mosquito bites are a really big deal in Zambia. And, and I'll never forget, this is, this is painted on his wall. It says, I want to be so full of Christ that if a mosquito bites me, it flies away singing, there's power in the blood. I don't know how many have heard that, but I'm like, yes, and amen to that. That's me. That should be on a t-shirt right there. But here's the second thing, and I've got to wrap this up because we're out of time, is be full of things. Philippians 4.8. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Philippians 4.8. So says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. There's a reason Paul, before he talks about contentment, is connecting the dots to how we think. Because part of the broken condition isn't just discontentment. It's ungratefulness. Because in, in every single day of our lives, we, we are filtering 12 to 60,000 different thoughts in our lives. And sure, not every thought we have is landing. But what Paul's saying 
is that we are the air traffic controllers of our minds. That, that we choose what thoughts are gonna land. And whatever thoughts that are not worthy of praise, we tell it to keep on flying. But only the things that are worthy of praise land. We are living in a culture that, that believes more in, in things not are as worthy of praise, but as worthy of complaining. I mean, everything that we do, conversations that we have, it's, it's centered around complaining. I was reading this week a, a Twitter feed that's called Celebs Complaining, and it's about ridiculous things that, that celebrities, you know, first world problems. One, one guy was, was tweeting, I hate my limo driver. He's making me carsick. <laughs> you poor baby. You are so poor baby. You're a girly man. That's how I always like to say it. But here's the idea. If we are full of thanks, we are reminding our minds of all the things that are right and all the things that we have. Instead of letting all of these thoughts go, reminding us all the things that are wrong and all the things that we don't have. And there's contentment. When you start declaring to your mind the things that are right, the things that you have, you, you start declaring those things out loud. Here, here's my challenge for the week, all right? Are you ready for this? You got a homework assignment. You're like, I didn't come to church for homework. Here it is. This is a good one. Every time you catch yourself complaining, follow it up by declaring out loud something that is worthy of praise from your life. Say it. I, I, my, my body's hurting, but man, praise God that I can go to a doctor, that I can take ibuprofen. Yeah, ah, oh, man, my relationship is hard, but praise God I have a relationship. You know, I, I don't have enough money. Praise God I have enough to have a, a roof over my head and a car to be able to drive. See, it's, it's a mindset shift. And the Bible says we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Church, God is declaring to us that when we are full of Jesus and we're full of thanks, we are able to step into a whole new level of an attitude of joy. That regardless of the season that we're living in, come on, stand to your feet. Regardless of the circumstances that we're, that we're surrounded with, regardless of the situation that we're encountering, that Jesus has done exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can imagine. He's done it before. He's doing it now. And he's going to do it again. And when you think of things worthy of praise, it's a shift. Tell your neighbor right now, say, there's a shift coming for your mind. And would you just bow your heads, close your eyes, Lord? We want to worship you. We want to declare to you the things that are worthy of praise. God, I think of Psalm 105, a whole chapter devoted to the ways that you've moved for the Israelites in their past. God, would you create a Psalm 105 for our own lives right now? Cause us to remember the great ways that you've been there for our lives. Cause us to remember the ways that you saved us from ourselves, 
that you rescued us from our sin, that you set us free from our addictions, that you brought newness and restoration into our relationships, that God, you provided for us when we didn't have enough. God, we want to declare to you that you are the Psalm 105 God, that you make a way where there seems to be no way, that you are a miracle-working God. And we declare that the things that are worthy of praise, thank you, Jesus, for filling our life. Church, let's worship and declare with our mouths things that are worthy of praise. Let's worship. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.